This is Copilots. A podcast where we watch not just the first episode of a show, but also the second. Some shows just don't have the best pilot episode, and giving it that second chance might just sway your mind. Here, we take that chance for you and let you know our opinions on if a show deserves more than just one shot. I'm Justice, alongside me is my co-pilot Josh. Now, let's get ready for takeoff. Your in-flight entertainment this week will be... Batman! Nightman. You were close. They aren't the same thing? No. No, they're not. So the intro music's done, so we should probably start talking about this episode now. Okay, so Nightman is a show from 1997. The first episode aired on September 19th, 1997. And it is a Marvel television show. Well, technically, but it was only, it was originally a comic book series by Malibu Comics, who happened to be bought by Marvel in the 90s. So if you know Nightman from Marvel Comics, you know him from a very niche time period, because he didn't last for long. His only important runs were he... Shut up in like a small Wolverine bit, and I think like six comics or three comics with Gambit. That I, was it. I don't know. You, you're, you're the comic aficionado between the two of us. I think that's basically all he was in. I think they wanted to do more shit with him, and then people were like, "No." And I don't know if that's because of weird comic industry bullshit, because of buying it from Malibu, so in, or it's just because he was shit. I know in the early 2000s there was a talk of reviving the Malibu imprint comics, including Nightman. In fact, spearheaded by Nightman. Why? But. The, the the creatives that wanted to do that got stopped by higher-ups, and it never materialized. You know, I'm okay with that. Anyways, Nightman. The first episode is called Pilot, Part 1. Or, inversely, it's also called World Premiere, Part 1. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Depends on where you're getting your information. If you yeah. get it from IMDb or Wikipedia, you know, the two trustworthy places, it's called Pilot, Part 1. If you get it from the episode description from, I don't remember what app we watched it on, it was world premiere part one okay honestly i prefer that the idea that nightman was going to be such a big franchise that it was going to be world premiere of nightman to be fair this is the world premiere of this episode of co-pilots damn he's not wrong this is the world premiere of the co-pilots episode about the world premiere of nightman i love like just calling random things world premieres i love calling things the first annual something Especially when there's never a second one. Okay, well, Nightman. Starts with the best, worst intro ever. This intro is gold. Can I just read my notes word for word here? Oh, yeah, sure. This intro is gold. Not like good gold, but like the kind of gold you know has chocolate underneath it. It's amazing, but only because it's so bad. You you know it could be actually good, but it's just chocolate. It has no value. It will never bring you true happiness. Hmm. I think it's more like fool's gold. <laughs> kind of like you have the sense of like this is amazing, this is wonderful, and then you realize it's fake and it was all a lie. Honestly, I just can't believe that this was the intro for a show that was a primetime television show. Yeah, like this was a show that came out at like seven, eight p.m. at night. Like, yeah, it was primetime com- TV. It slots. was competing with Dallas, which was actually a pretty decent show. You know how I know that Dallas was a decent show and Nightman was. You've a heard of trash? Dallas? I've heard of Dallas. I vaguely know what that is. Yeah. He's like, the reason why I'm surprised this belongs to a primetime show is because, like, it has the type of color outlines and sliding, like, character blocks like you get from, like, Power Rangers. 
Yeah, he literally jumps off of a really shitty comic page at a point. You can tell, actually, someone took a picture of an actual thing and then just put a white border around it and changed the collar in the background. And then he jumped off of like a platform and they green screened it horribly behind him for that intro. I think we should talk about why this intro does have a hint of like just amazingness to it. We're talking particularly about the point where he's a machine to make a hologram of himself playing the saxophone. He watches himself play the saxophone for a moment, nods, and then walks away. Oh, I'm just talking about the music in general. The opening theme song? Yeah, it has hidden Me Plaza music in it. It's there. You'll hear it. The opening theme song for this is so, so good. It's garbage, but it's so good. Yeah. So the show opens up in San Francisco. We know it's uh, San Francisco. Actually, actually, before we get there, oh, okay. pause this episode, go watch the Nightman intro, and then come back. But the show opens in San Francisco. We know it's San Francisco because we get an establishing shot of the Golden Gate Bridge. Yes. Because San Francisco has two key icons, streetcars and San Francisco bridges. Also, I mean, I think you have the third one. You have Alcatraz. Streetcars and Golden Gate Bridges. Yeah, yeah, Golden Gate Bridges. And Alcatraz, you're right, but Alcatraz- Alcatraz we only ever see if it's in, like, a prison movie or, like, a- straight up crime movie normally or if like it's a camera scoop coming in off coming in off the bay yeah yeah like but like it's those three i think yeah but i think if you're just establishing the city of san francisco it's two you have two things the golden gate bridge streetcars yeah sure and so from there we just see a man on the sidewalk he's just chilling and we get a limo pulling up kind of thought he was waiting on a taxi but now that i've seen this episode i know that can't be the case there are no taxis in this version of san francisco (laughs) that's <laughs> not what i was getting at but no you're right there are no taxis in san francisco i don't think we see one in any of the trains just a bunch actually. just a bunch of different limos that's all that's in san francisco limos and streetcars that by the way aren't actually streetcars they're just buses painted to look like streetcar trolleys the, the weird thing is this was filmed in san francisco yes they just never used any of the streetcars because they actually think the san francisco city like yeah municipality board whatever the fuck yeah, it is yeah. you think so this actually have this actually this is actually shot in San Francisco. It's not like it's shot in somewhere in Canada and they're pretending it's San Francisco, which I mean wouldn't have surprised me. Every place in Canada is just actually a place in the US. New York isn't real people. <laughs> it's true. Mo- it's Montreal. Yeah. And then a special agent from the Justice Department gets a- out. Agent Barton. To which the way we then had a question. Well, technically this is part of the Marvel universe. Is he related to Clint Barton? I mean, there's no reason why he's not. It's headcanon for me. This takes place in the Marvel Universe. We see a Captain America prototype showed later. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's definitely what it looks like, and I loved it. Like, no, 100% that's what it is. It, it was just a light fixture, but... No, it wasn't. It never, <laughs> it never showed light. It was just this thing on the wall. Never like pouring out behind it. It was like a shitty light scout. No, scones. It, no, it was there. The light behind it was to, to emphasize how important it was. <laughs> okay, anyways. So, he gets this guy from the street to get in the car after frisking him. Yeah, apparently this guy, who we know is named Mr. McDermott. Yeah. Also, I just want this guy's a special agent from the Department of Justice. I don't really know how many special agents the Department of Justice has. I'm more interested in finding... Like, I don't think... That's an ongoing thing in this first two episodes. I don't think... And you can feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, like, on Twitter or in the comments of wherever you get this at, or if... Oh, no, no. Just I, just, I just checked. DOJ does have special agents. They conduct a wide variety of complex criminal investigations, enforce state gambling and firearm laws and regulations, work in forensic sciences, and train and educate other law enforcement personnel on the latest law enforcement techniques and technologies. So they exist, but this is definitely not what they this do. This is definitely not what they do. Okay, anyways. So this guy that, that gets picked up by a limo and a special agent is named Mr. McDermott. 
and he's been waiting to meet Secretary Laden. Secretary Laden. We later find out Secretary Laden is the Secretary of Defense of the United States of America. Yes. But the man in the limo is not Secretary Laden. It's a guy. And he just begins to question McDermott. He, he like questions if McDermott is just a crackpot weird conspiracy theorist or if he's a patriot. And we don't really know why. He's just, that's like one of the first things he says to him. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Like, if somebody's reporting something and trying to, like, get a meeting with the Secretary of Defense and, like, they might actually have some useful information, it's probably relevant to find out if they're just insane or if they actually saw a UFO. Both? We're not talking about UFOs. Anyways, in fact, we're not talking about anything close to UFOs. No, not really. I don't know why I brought up UFOs. No clue. McDermott just makes some vague accusations against higher people in the government. We don't really know what exactly. And claims to have ironclad evidence against them. And we know whatever it is, something to do with high-tech weapon prototypes. Mm-hmm. They try to have him sign something, like a witness affidavit or, or Just some confirming such. everything he, he said in the vehicle. They print it out from what looked... A dashboard printer. I mean, it doesn't look like a dashboard printer, though. It looks like someone just, like, cut a groove on the dashboard almost. It looked kind of bad. Yeah, it, yeah that's 100% what they did. But... They do this after parking on the Golden Gate Bridge, which I'm fairly certain is not allowed. Also, immediately skeptical all the fucking time. Like, if you're parking on a bridge, mm-hmm. I immediately have questions. So he refuses to disclose anything he knows about the prototype weapons. But he does sign this piece of paper. He does sign the piece of paper. And without reading it. Without reading it. Important, actually. Look, guys, when you have to sign something, even if it's digital, read the whole thing. I know EULAs are like 80 pages long. Terms of services are really fucking long, too. But if you don't sign it, you could be you could be actually signing a suicide note that people are going to use to frame you for committing suicide. Oh, yeah, this is a suicide note that they're using to frame him for committing suicide. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> because now out of the car, they take him and they start dangling him off the bridge. And they're like, you got to pull tell- the shoes off. You got to tell us. Who you're working with and where the weapons are. And the guy's just like, no, no. And then they start to push him farther over here. So he just starts spewing names. But he doesn't know where the prototype is because the other people are the ones in charge of hiding the prototypes because he was approaching them and they didn't want to have to give away that information. Which makes sense. Yeah, just have a less informed guy go and just explain what you want from something. It's actually a pretty smart move on their part. Anyways, they they throw him off the San Francisco Bridge. Yep. Um, which led me to an entire tangent where I had to Google if falling from the San Francisco Bridge could kill you. I don't. Yep. Know, I, like I didn't realize how high it was. Apparently, the average spot on the San Francisco Bridge is 220 feet above the water, and 98% of people that fall off the San Francisco Bridge die. Yeah. A thing though that I noticed and bothered the fuck out of me: the moment they pick him up and lean him over the edge of the bridge, they only show his face like once in the entire sequence. Most of the time, it's just two guys holding obviously a dummy. Over the edge of a bridge. And it's the worst piped-in audio I've ever heard in a television show. And I love it. Not as in, like, it sounds bad and not real and, and like, fake. Because it does. But that happens all the time. No, this sounds like, all of a sudden, a horrible radio staticky echo. Like, my comparison was, if you've ever played Mega Man Legends or Mega Man 64, if you play on the 64 or PlayStation. Nintendo. You, you have... Well, actually... Roll, Sony. I think her name is, right? Yeah, Roll. She just, most of the time, just says Mega Man to you, right? But when you're in, like, the ruin areas, it comes through kind of crackly and tinny. And also a, a really low quality, because you're playing a really, really early-gen game that had some dialogue. So, congratulations. 
what it sounds bad. Covered by endless ocean. How about endless water? It might be. It's one of the two, whatever. It sounds like that, but maybe worse. God, I love Mega Man Legends. Even when we see him in the one time we actually see his face talking, it's that bad. Well, yeah, it's because like the way they have to hold him down, he's away from the boom mic, so the boom mic can't pick it up. And Except we're right up on his face, so you could nope. just... Anyways, yeah. they took his shoes off so they could fold up that note he signed, and it's a suicide note, so now it looks like he killed himself. Yep. And then we cut to the next morning, and, and there's cops at the docks. Because they just pulled a body from the bay. I bet you can't guess whose body it was. You know, they never tell us. <laughs> you know, that's true. No one ever says it's McDermott. <laughs> Not even his friends later when they find when they see his corpse. No one says his name. They're just like, yep, he's dead. No one talks about his death. No one's torn up about it. They're just like, well, he's dead. We knew this. That's why he was the messenger. None of us liked him. They don't say that, but it's the emotion I get. <laughs> so I, I just imagine now McDermott didn't die when they threw him off the bridge. He's one of the 2%. <laughs> that lived and just no one cared. No, he lived and he like swam to shore. And then one of the DOJ agents from... The limo found out, went down and shot him, and the body in the morgue <laughs> just, just isn't even his. No, it's his, but he's been killed by gunshot wound instead. <laughs> like the body from this scene is just an irrelevant body, and like you know, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, but yeah, so the cops don't actually think it's suicide until well, <clears throat> a man named Frank shows up. They think it is suicide until Frank shows up. No, they specifically say, oh, because Frank brings the shoes and the note. And points out that the note is all printed, except for the signature, which is done by hand, but appears to have been done on a soft surface, which is weird because most printers are on a hard surface, so you would assume you would sign it right after printing it. So the signature would be more firm and stable as if it had been written on a hard surface, which this isn't. And then Frank gets yelled at for possibly contaminating evidence because he's not a cop anymore. So our lead detective here, Charlie, is upset. Yep. Now it's nighttime. And we are at... The House of Soul. And it's also a bit about 10 minutes into this 43-minute episode, and we have not yet been introduced to the titular Nightman. And then we see a man playing the saxophone with the band on stage. This is our Nightman. He's not Nightman yet. No. And we still don't get his name in the show. He introduces a famous lady named Carla Day. Yep. And then he offstage talks to a bartender at this jazz bar yes and the bartender makes it obvious to us the audience that carla and johnny are nightmen because we still don't know his name yeah they still even this person doesn't say his name so yeah another employee of the house of soul talks about how nightman and carla had a relationship in the past and she's like you but really, they keep it vague about how recent it was apparently yeah, you it, really messed up letting her get away da, 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 da. yeah and like just from the way they say it it sounds like johnny broke up with her and is completely over her Mm-hmm. And then bartender lady also points out, also your dad's here. Yep. She's like, Nightman, your dad's here. Anyone care to guess which of the characters we've mentioned so far happens to be his father? McDermott. McDermott's his dad. Fuck. <laughs> okay, so McDermott's there. <laughs> it does make sense. He has to be Batman. He is Batman, so he doesn't. he's not allowed to have parents, right? So anyways, McDermott. <laughs> is the Golden Gate Bridge at the crime alley of San Francisco? Uh, so no, his dad is Frank, the ex-detective that gave the cops their lead to know McDermott was not a suicide. Yes. And, and <laughs> he also laments about the fact that his son's no longer with Carla. Yeah, because sh- she has a record deal and she's is a famous catch. and yeah. he's only in town from Millennium 21, which we don't know what that is yet. 
And also, you know, his dad doesn't think that his son's going to make any money out this music stuff, which is hilarious given some information we learned. We'll get there. We will. So his dad wants him to take a uh, job as a martial arts instructor at the police academy. Oh, is that what it was? I just knew it was a training job. Yeah, yeah, it's a martial arts instructor at the police academy. He talked to Charlie about it. Charlie's a detective. He has nothing to do with the police academy. Yeah, he's who was at the scene with the body, but whatever. Anyways, from this scene, we cut to McDermott being dead in a morgue drawer. Well, well, no, we also get a point where, because his dad's going on about how he was talking to Charlie about it, his son's just like, really? Because you shouldn't be just running into Charlie. You're not a cop anymore. Because um, if you haven't noticed Frank's entire story through this first episode and the second, spoiler alert, it's going to be that he's not a cop anymore, but he's just going to keep doing cop stuff. Yeah, he's just going to do cop stuff. Anyways, then we cut to some more where McDermott's doing corpse stuff, like laying in a drawer. Yep, and we just get three people standing around his body being like, oh, the meetup was a trap. Yeah, I thought so. Yep, it was a trap. Yep, this is McDermott. That's his dead body. And then they just close his morgue drawer and leave. Yep. That is it. That is the scene. They just are around this body to confirm that the guy is dead. And we also find out in this scene that Secretary Lawton is actually coming in tonight. We get it right after that scene, actually. Oh, okay. Because they're not in the mortuary anymore. The secretary's on a plane, and he gets a phone call from one of the guys that was talking about McDermott's death, and they still want to meet up with him. And the secretary's just like, what What are you talking about? Meet up with me. Still want to? We weren't supposed to meet up. I'm not even in town yet. I land tonight. Well, McDermott was supposed to meet up with you. Who? What? And now he's dead. What? You should meet up with me at Millennium 21. Me specifically, basically. And we still don't know what Millennium 21 is, but... Let's take care of that with a little bit of radio exposition. Yeah. Millennium 21 is a telecommunications conference. It features both Carla Day and Johnny Domino performing at it. World-renowned saxophonist. Johnny Domino. So our fucking man is a world-renowned saxophone player who just works at a bar, but apparently his dentist doesn't think he's going to make any money, but the man is a world-renowned saxophone player. It's also weird to me that they changed Johnny's name to Johnny Domino. When it was John E. Domingo. Yeah. But now his name is just Johnny Domino. Don't get me wrong. I think as far as comic book names, Johnny Domino is probably better. But I don't know why they changed it for the show. It was the 90s and they were trying to be more edgy with their television show. They failed very badly. Yes. But that's not just because of the name. (laughs) The name is their only success here. So we cut to Millennium 21. Oh, actually, first, we also find out that at Millennium 21, there's going to be a streetcar tour of the great city of San Francisco. That's important. And then we cut to the apparent place where it's happening, and we see just some security people all over the place. And and we see giant, like, giant stands advertising Carla Day and Johnny Domino. Yep. And, like, they have pictures of Johnny Domino and Carla Day on them. Like, you're supposed to recognize them by looking at them. Yeah. Once more, implying that Johnny Domino doesn't just play at a, at a jazz club in San Francisco, but that he's world famous and people fucking know who he is and are there to watch him. Yeah. And we see our special agent Barton is, like, at the main security entrance point for the event. Yeah. They're tracking the group that... Yeah. They're, uh, they're tracking McDermott's guys because they're the ones that killed McDermott. Yeah. And then we see one of the party members from McDermott's group come in and asks for an envelope for Raleigh. Oh, we do get his name. Yeah, Raleigh Jordan. We do get his name. That's my bad. Yeah, so then one of Burton's guys notifies him that someone just picked up a package. And apparently they know who Raleigh Jordan is mm-hmm. and that he's one of their people. Because McDermott gave them all the names. Yeah, and they just immediately figured out who he was. 
Yeah, it's because they're the Department of Justice. They have computers. It's 1997. That's an advantage. I mean, yeah. They just feel really stupid given the rest of the episode, so it doesn't make sense in my brain. <laughs> I mean, they are still actual professional government agents, even if they're pieces of shit. Yeah. Remember, people, ACAB doesn't just apply to cops. It also applies to federal agents. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you probably shouldn't say it too loud in that connotation. Your NSA agent will hear you. <laughs> we all know we're assigned one. Uh, we just make it easier for ours to know what we're talking about. That's why we have a podcast. So then we cut to a bunch of people. Oh, no, no. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. Jordan I, tries I, to go in. I Burton tries. Yeah. Jordan tries to go into the telecommunications event. Burton stops him and goes to check his briefcase. And then the secretary is just like, he's with me. And Burton's still like, we still need to check it. And then one of the secretary's own security guys shows up who, you know, if this guy had stayed around, this security guard had stayed around the secretary. This done ep- his job, it would have changed everything about this fucking show. It's because this episode has has an idiot plot. That all of a sudden happens. And so Burton has to let Jordan, the secretary, and the secretary's bodyguard go through. Yep. And then we cut to a streetcar filled with people drinking alcohol. Oh, yeah. We, we cut to a streetcar named Desire. We watched that entire play. And then we come back to the Nightman. So we're actually like 20 minutes into this episode now. So I don't feel that it's that bad spoiling what I thought of this show. So I'm going to go ahead and say... I think I'd rather watch the entirety of the play A Streetcar Named Desire than the rest of this episode in episode two. Yeah, agreed. And I'm not even a huge fan of A Streetcar Named Desire. Go ahead and at me. I don't give a fuck. No, it's 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 highly mediocre. Yeah, exactly. I don't know why it's so popular. But at me if you want. I don't care. I'd still rather watch that than this. Anyways, so we cut to the streetcar and it's filled with a bunch of people drinking and like the, the fucking dull- shoulder to shoulder crammed into a bus. And the dulcet tones of Johnny Domino playing saxophone leaning against the front area of the bus because it's a bus not a streetcar mm-hmm. and here we have this world-renowned saxophone player relegated to a small spot on a bus going downhill so, totally destroying his mouth because he's playing a woodwind instrument and you know those stops aren't smooth so typically when when conventions or expos say dada da's performing they mean dada da's performing on stage during one of the big panels for the expo this is to keep your attention and stop you from leaving so you will continue to watch our products. But when Millennium 21 says, world-renowned saxophonist Johnny Domino is playing, they mean world-renowned saxophonist Johnny Domino is playing on what is supposed to be a tour of San Francisco telling you about the city. Also, there's no tour guide on this bus. No. It's just Johnny playing saxophone while nobody's paying attention to the city, and they're all drinking alcohol. Yep. It's wonderful. So... A woman gets off the bus. And we get our first look at the bus from the outside of the bus. And, ooh, is it bad? It's also not the same bus because it's got a different number and different people in it. Yep. And I'm pretty sure there's no Johnny Domino in it when we see it from outside. Yeah. And this woman goes to a black limo that looks familiar, but I mean, it's a black limo, so all of them look familiar. And when she left the bus, she left her purse behind. Yes. Okay. Now are you guys ready for the real cheese of this? Well, I mean, Night Night Goy here notices the left bag. Yeah, and he sees her get in the limo. But that is the extent of it. Okay, are you guys ready for the real cheese here? The real fucking superhero origin story cheese? Oh, it's wonderful. You'll love so, it. So, if, if you guys don't know what Nightman, who Nightman is or how he got his superpowers, I want you to stop right now, pause the episode, and using your infinite knowledge of superheroes, tell me what you think Nightman's powers, A, are... And B, how he got them. And C, if you would, this isn't as necessary. The synthesis for the name Nightman. Because right now, 
in this moment, we will get to how he gets his power. Keep in mind, it is broad daylight, sunny day, crowded streetcar, playing saxophone. And this man in the middle of San Francisco, surrounded by other people. And this man gets superpowers and also synthesizes the name Nightman at some point due to those powers or the interaction of when he gets those powers as his general superhero stuff. Okay, so we're going to give you a second to pause. Okay, so if you guessed, get struck by lightning in broad daylight. Because the sun's, because the sky suddenly turns bright blue and then purple. And a CGI storm comes up. A really bad CGI storm that made me question a real house in the background was CGI or not because it makes everything look bad. Then congratulations. You've guessed how Nightman got his powers. The lightning bolt strikes the bus and then only passes through Mr. Domino. Who is touching another woman on the bus and she doesn't get shocked. Not at all. Now, while we're at it, if you guess what Nightman's superpowers were and you guessed could hear evil thoughts. Never sleeps. Has night vision, neural resistance... And actual magic. Congratulations. You're just as fucking weird as the creators of this fucking thing. I don't know how you did it. I applaud you. Also, I'm terrified of you and never want to meet you in real life. If, but, you, if, you, but guessed, kudos. if you guessed all of that, you deserve an award because I don't know how anybody came up with that suite of superpowers for a superhero and determined that his name was Nightman. Now, assumedly, the comics have a better reason, maybe, hopefully. No, the comics origin is he gets struck by lightning on a streetcar while playing a saxophone. Really? Yes, I don't know if I knew it's in got, broad daylight. I know he got struck by lightning. I didn't know it was on a street call while playing saxophone. Yes. Those are Oof. all those are all accurate things. Oh, oh, okay, never mind. I don't know if it was in broad daylight. I don't know why he was on a streetcar playing a saxophone. So he falls down, and we see the woman who was right in front of him, who was just a random extra, turn around and crouch down, and it's Carla Day now all of a sudden. And this is the woman that he touched while he was being shocked by lightning? Who, who didn't? Was, yeah. And then now touches him, even though he... Still is shaking, so there's still electricity in his body, but let's ignore how that works. Yeah. And we get our first vision, though that's not one of his powers. Unless that's what the night vision is. I don't know, but also, I just want to emphasize, when he gets struck by lightning, he's inside a bus, having gone downhill. Yep. So he is lower than a lot of the things around him. Mm -hmm. He's inside what is essentially a Faraday cage with rubber grounders. Yes. And he is still the one that gets struck by lightning. Mm-hmm. Not the bus itself, not a building with a lightning rod, not anything. Not that the tall ha- building that's right next to him because they stopped like right next to the building. Not anything that would make sense. Just this dude who just set his saxophone down. So he's not even holding like extra metal. Gets blasted by lightning. Yeah. So while Carla is checking on him, he gets his first vision that apparently we're going to get, even though I don't know if that's actually a power that he's supposed to have, but the bag is a bomb. Well, no, we don't know the bomb. The bag is a bomb yet. He gets a vision, like, that is the woman leaving the bus again and leaving the bag on the bus. And he crawls to the bag and picks it up. Then he gets a vision that that is not related to it being a bomb at all. It's just more visions of the woman in other places. No vision about it. Then just yells, it's a bomb. So not only does he have the powers we listed, but an unlisted power of Nightman is psychometry. He can touch stuff and get psychic feelings from it. Yes. And... So then everyone freaks out and runs off the bus because we're going to trust the man who was just struck by lightning to be entirely cognizant and sane. And no one's going to help said lightning struck man off the bus. Nope. So he throws the bomb out the window of the bus in the opposite direction all the people piled out. Back towards the stupid house that I still don't know if it's real or not. 
By the way, if you yell bomb on a bus and people, the windows are big enough for people to like climb out of as well as the doors, what is the likelihood that everybody climbs out of the same side of the bus? 100%. You're going to climb out towards the road because that's what they do. Because that's what happens here. Everybody climbs out of the same side of the bus. Towards the road. So he throws the bomb out of the other side of the bus. Towards a building. And he throws it very high in the air. Like, he, he fucking frisbeed that, like, 20 feet up into the air. Yes. And then the bomb explodes and still, with enough force, knocks the bus over. No, 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 no. Bus's roof is like a blue. Yeah. And then the explosion immediately turns the entire bus's roof black. Knocks on its side. And that's it. That's the explosion of the bus. We don't see anyone get thrown or knocked, even though Nightman is half, well, sorry, Domino's halfway out of the fucking bus because he's throwing it. We don't know what happens to him in this situation. So, next scene is in a hospital, and Johnny is being held as a hero that saves the Secretary of Defense's life and saved all these people, and... Fun uh, fact, no one that we see has lacerations or burns on them. No one. Massive explosion. Scorched the top of a bus. Knocked it over. Should have easily knocked out glass. Johnny was still in the bus, too. The explosion hit the top and side of the bus, which is how it knocked it over, and he was on that side of the explosion. His arms would be fucking burnt. There's nothing. Nope, he's perfectly fine. Um, actually, Just a bit dazed. Everybody's perfectly fine. They're all a little bit dazed. And his bed is right next to Secretary Lawton's bed right now. Stretcher. Yeah, I mean, they're beds. It, it's a gurney. Yeah. I mean, it's a bed, but I mean, the bed implies like a hospital room almost, generally, because if you're referring to a bed, you don't think of like a permanent situation in a hospital, in my opinion. He's on a gurney right next to him. All hospital gurneys are hospital beds now, and they're in hospital beds that are just out in the hallway. <laughs> That's what they're in. He gets switched to an actual bed later. He's in a gurney. He's on a gurney right now. I don't think so. Yeah, no, he's on like a shitty gurney, like from the back of an ambulance. Okay, well, he's right next to Secretary Lawton. And he's hearing Secretary Lawton's thoughts. And so those must be evil, right? Because that's his power. No, the secretary's just freaking out because he almost died. Apparently, worrying about dying is an evil thought. Do not contemplate mortality, for it is evil. And so Johnny says something about something the secretary thought, and the secretary starts freaking out because... Yeah, about he... how someone was trying to kill him. Yep. And then the guys from the Justice Department show up and are like, hey... We need all the news crew away. We need to move this guy to a different room. Da 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 da. Yeah, because the news is talking to Johnny. So it's not the evil guys. It's a guy we haven't seen before. The evil guy's there. Mc- yeah, sorry, Burton's there. It's the guy who was talking to McDermott. Who I got his name. His so name's I'm... Kruger, but we don't. Yeah, know his name's right Kruger. Now. Yeah, but he just steps in. He's not associated with the hospital. It's obvious he's not wearing a badge or anything. He doesn't have a lab coat. He came in with these other people. They don't move the secretary first, though. They shove down this injured hero man he shoves him roughly to the back of the onto his bed and then forces the newspapers away and commands the doctor to cart him off somewhere to be fair no news organization should have been interviewing him no the news should have been around in the fucking hospital he just woke up after being exploded and lightninged yeah also they're dealing with an attacked secretary the news should be nowhere near there yep a secretary of defense like a high-ranking cabinet member but anyways, we now know it's definitely very obvious that Agent Barden and his crew are the ones that try to kill the secretary. Well, yeah, because he literally turns one of the people and tells them to deal with Domino because he saved the secretary. Yep. And they don't know how he knew it was a plot, but they need him gone so he doesn't mess anything up again. So the next scene 
is Johnny laying in a hospital bed in a ho- in a room by himself, and then his dad and Carla Day come to visit. Yes, and they're talking about how he's all scratched up and banged up. Fun and fact: he's not scratched or bruised in any manner. And he tells his dad, "I've been hearing voices, but not voices like thoughts. I'm hearing people's thoughts." And his dad's just like, "That that's shock. You you just." I know guys who have been around bombs when they blew up, and bombs called, you hear shit, you hear ringing, and he's like, no, it's thoughts. No, nah, that's just because a bomb blew up. You're fucking stressed out and paranoid, man. Anyways, then the doctor comes in, and the doctor is initially pretty sus. Like, yeah. He's like, oh, you haven't been able to sleep properly. We'll see if I can give you something for that. Like, he seems very suspicious, but then he's also like, by the way, because you've been hearing those voices, I've called in a psychic phenomenon expert who happens to be in town for the telecommunications conference Millennium 21. My thesis is because in the late 90s and early 2000s, every psychic hotline I ever remember seeing an advertisement for was based somewhere in California, mainly San Francisco. So clearly he's there to explain why his field is so important to the telecommunications industry and why they need to make sure all telephone and landlines are reinforced with psychic lines. Also, it's at this point that I've made a a note. And I just want to make this very clear. The way that the show is acted, the way the actors are acting the scenes. And just the way some of the lines are written. Every scene feels like it's a setup for a porn parody. It literally feels like it's instant away from Domino pulling out his sax and playing just 90s sax porn music. Yep. It's not a good thing. Yeah. Anyways, then we cut to the woman who dropped the bomb. And Kruger. And they're talking about the weapons that McDermott and his friends have. Well, first the woman's like, what the fuck? The secretary's not dead. I only agreed to plant the bomb because everyone was supposed to fucking be dead. So she's not happy. And their power dynamic is hard to understand here because it seems as if she's reporting to him and then immediately he sounds like he's reporting to her. Their power dynamic is unclear. Okay, so I think Kruger works for the Department of Justice. So he is technically a higher rank than her in that regard. He's a federal agent where she's a civilian. Yeah. But she's, this- she's in charge of the plotty stuff. But she works for this company that Kruger is also freelancing for. Yeah, yeah. So she is technically his boss, but he has more power on like a... Yeah, she appears to be in charge of all the business stuff they're doing, which just makes me question, why didn't she just have some rando working beneath her do it? Yeah, that's a very good point. From there, we cut to a scene of McDermott's cohorts, who I'm now going to call Raleigh's cohorts, meeting in a bar to discuss how the secretary meeting blew up yeah that's basically all they do and back with kruger and them they had a brief conversation about how their options for dealing with domino are either killing him or discrediting him and also they'll have some buyers for the prototypes soon Mm, yes that's right then we cut back to the hospital and the psychic expert has shown up and yes he tells johnny that he has an abnormality caused by trauma on his right temporal lobe and honestly, I'm just happy it's not psychic bullshit caused by damage to the pineal gland or being able to use his pineal gland to more extent. So I think this is before the pineal gland became the center of every fucking psychic power, ever, even though it serves very little fucking purpose and people can fuck off. Yeah, I think that's exactly what's what's up. This is 1997, so it's before the pineal gland. It's before people knew the pineal gland was tied to psychic powers. Yeah, yeah, because it totally fucking is. Man, the pineal gland... Definitely. It's not just a small endocrine gland in the fucking brain. Then we cut to a scene with the bomb woman and Kruger, and they're now hosting a conference with people from two different world governments. It mainly just fucking produces melatonin. I'm sorry. (laughs) Continue. And her and Kruger are meeting with representatives from two different governments and the Colombian cartel. 
They have five weapon systems for sale. Brian George is part of this conversation. If you don't know who he is, he's a wonderful actor, and you should enjoy him and everything. Except this, where he only talks briefly in the second episode, and I'm sad that he's in the show at all. Four of the five weapon systems are the ones McDermott and his friends had. So they don't these so Kruger and this woman don't actually have them yet. They are sellers with nothing to sell. Yeah. The fifth item they actually have though in hand. But the first four items are $250 million each. And the last one is $1 billion. And because they're selling the blueprints and like the schematics, they can sell them to any number of people. So all three people can buy all of them if they want. So this is a this is a potential $6 billion for yeah. Bomb Woman and Kruger. Yeah, and they don't tell them what the things are yet. They'll just tell them that the value will be apparently obvious to them. But we do get the first system here. It's a free flight device. Well, they're they also it. told that there are no discounts if you purchase all of them. Yeah, that's fair. But we also get the, the first weapon system here, and it's called a free flight device. It's an anti-grav belt. It's a, it's just a belt that lets you fly. Yeah. So then we see... It's, it's demonstrated on a shitty green screen, though, in case you were wondering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we get McDermott's conspiracy guys at the location for the crate just debating about if they should tell the secretary or if they should divvy up the prototypes and flee so people can't find them. They specifically say hide them, but... No, no, one guy refers to it as divvying them up to hide them. Also, the easiest solution here, though, is to take all of them, tie them to that belt that is an anti-gravity belt, turn it on and watch it fucking fly and leave the atmosphere. Done. Solution found. Anyways, then we cut back to Nightman and Psychic Man, and they're walking near Marina talking about how Nightman was able to hear the Secretary of Defense's thoughts and how the bomb was meant to kill the Secretary of Defense. Oh, yeah, yeah. And also, we learn that British man here... Psychic man? He's British, though. And this matters for the moment because he talks about how he's worked with his country. For this country. For this country, yeah. For 40 years. years in the field of extrasensory perception in a race against the Soviets, which... Against the Soviet Union. He's just the Soviets... But it, it also, should, I think he says my government because it made me question if he's worked oh, for yeah, like MK Ultra. My, yeah, he does say my government. Yeah. But it's also important to note that by the time this was being filmed, the Soviet Union had been fully dissolved for over half a decade. Mm, no, no. 91 was the finished time. So it was, oh, yeah. Yeah. Half a this, decade. This sorry. was filmed in 96, 97. Yeah, 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 you're right. Over half a decade later. And the dis- beginning of the dissolution of the Soviet Union, if you didn't know, it was in 1988. So it was already kind of fucking obvious even more before that. Almost. A decade before. And then Mr. Psychic Man, I don't remember his actual name. But Dr. Walton, but we don't get it until a really, really long fucking time later. Okay, so yeah. So then Dr. Wal- Walton drops the big bomb. The big one. The one you all knew was coming. <sighs> that the normal man only uses 10% of their brain. And that Nightman seems to have access to another portion of that, t- of that 90% that normal people can't access. That's where he gets his powers from. So then we cut back to the sales team who has nothing to sell. Um, yeah, and this time they're advertising armor that is completely bulletproof. It's not armor. It's, it's a cloth material that's completely bulletproof. Okay, but it's armor. Cool. Yeah, yeah. They just make sure to emphasize that it's a cloth material. Yep. Then we cut to one of McDermott's men. Well, we cut to the hospital, and we get one of McDermott's men there. Yeah, Raleigh? No, it's not Raleigh there. Not at the hospital. Oh, you're right. My bad. But we cut to the hospital, and we see... Domino, Johnny Domino's doctor, who I'd already assumed was incompetent because he fucking referred a psychic phenomenon expert to a guy with brain damage. <laughs> yeah. And point in case, the man is fucking incompetent. His lab coat is gone. His badge is gone. His badge is gone. And he's just asking the nurse if she's seen them. Like, 
I went on my break and now my shit's gone. Apparently, I had to take off my lab coat and my badge to like go grab a snack or take a smoke break, whatever the fuck I was doing. I assume repeatedly banging my head against a wall so I can stop thinking. But well, then we find out that one of McDermott's guys stole this stuff so he could sneak into the secretary's room. Yes. And he convinces the secretary that the people that are with the secretary are the ones trying to kill him. And they're trying to sell the prototypes. Yep. So the secretary and McDermott's guy sneak out of the room under the pretense of going to get Tessa done. And they head into a stairwell. And then they get shot. They get shot by Burton and I think Kruger. Yeah, and it should be noted that at this time, Walton and... Domino. Nightman. Had just re-entered the hospital and Nightman heard Burton's thoughts. Yes, as they rushed past him. So Nightman runs after Burton to see if he can try to stop this from happening. But instead, he just gets there in time to see them get shot. Yes. So then he takes off and runs back up to his room. Well, he, he just runs into a random room, which happens to be the room occupied by one Carla Day. And she is currently covered in only a towel. I assumed it was just his room because there's no other fucking reason to be in any other room in the hospital. No, she got she was in the bus when it blew up. They said they were going to keep her for a night. It's been more than a fucking night. No, it's only been one night. This is the next day. 100%. The timeline is terrible in the show, but it's 100% only been one day. Okay. And she's... Just wrapped in a towel, and her hair's not wet, so I have to assume she's going to the shower, but who wraps himself in a towel to go to the shower? And No idea. Anyways, he grabs her and starts making out with her, so that when the agents burst in the door moments later, I don't know what he thought would happen. Like, he's fully clothed, and she's wrapped in a towel. Yeah, and they're just like, how'd you get up here so quickly? What are you doing? And then they're trying to accuse him of killing Secretary Lawton when Dr. Walton comes in. Dr. Walton. From the National Security Institute. Yep. And he covers for Domino is like, I was just with him. He we just came, just came up into this the room. lobby. He came up via the elevator. We saw you rush past to the stairwell, and then he went up the elevator. If anybody's suspicious here, it's you. Yeah. So they're just like, okay, yeah. And they leave. And then Dr. Walton emits another bomb. The entire reason why he bailed out Johnny Domino here is because he's been looking for someone like Johnny Domino. For 40 fucking years, the entire time he's been working with people with psychic powers, he apparently, according to this dialogue, has never worked or come across someone with fucking psychic powers. So, I'm an expert in a field that doesn't fucking exist. You know, Dr. Walton's character would make more sense if he was a doctorate student trying to prove the field of extrasensory perception. Yes! And had, like, a, like, tenet connection to like the national security institute or something like he had just started like working there on the- yeah or he could even just be an old man who's like a neuroscientist who has been brought in by the government to like talk, work on it but just for like the last few years or some shit like his job is supposed to be to prove it or some shit but he spent 40 years researching extrasensory perception and has never once and he's an expert on it you know he knows exactly how domino's powers work despite never having encountered someone with psychic powers before yeah let me cut back to the sales meeting. It's like looking at anything in science and just being like, oh, well, that's how that works without actually studying it because you had a weird, stupid idea about it and you just saw it do that thing you already know it does. And without applying whether or not your stupid theory works, just saying it does. Anyway, then we cut to the sellers and the last weapon system. We skipped the other two. Yes. And the last weapon is a neutron beam. And while they present this weapon, they get a call confirming that the secretary is dead, but also detailing that the musician who foiled their previous bombing bombing murder attempt was probably a witness. saw them, even though that has, they have no reason to believe that because 
actual solid defense with mm-hmm. much fucking logic. Yep. And Kruger and Bombwoman argue about it in front of the people that are buying their stuff, which is highly unprofessional. Yeah. And, like, and I know they're black market arms dealers, but like have a little bit of respect for your job. Yeah. So the buyers are just like, problems are bad. We don't like that. Small we'll, problems can become big problems. Yeah. We'll, we'll help deal with it for a discount. They all basically say. And Kruger and Bombwoman are like, you're not getting a discount. We don't need your help. Yeah. Anyways. Then we cut to McDermott's last two cohorts. Raleigh and some other guy. They're arguing about what to do going forward, and the one guy's just like, fuck it, I'm out. Yeah, and Raleigh's like, well, I think we need to talk to Domino, because I'm pretty sure he's a secret agent for the Secretary of Defense. He's been in the center of all of this. He was there that one time a bomb was there, and he found it. Clearly, he knows everything. He's been at the center of everything. For all we know, he could have just been a creepy guy who was trying to steal a purse and noticed it was a bomb instead of money. Anyways, Nightman is now wandering the streets of San Francisco, lit by a setting sun. Oh, oh, the other guy, the other guy's name is Weems. I have a note just because his fucking name is Weems. W e e m s. I know. Weems. I 100 percent know. I noted that later because Weems does die later as well. They yeah. all they all die yeah. except Raleigh, and you know that because Raleigh's in the opening credits of the show, and none of the rest are. Yes. On a good note, they don't kill off the black character, but he is relegated to a side character. Um, Sidekick character. And while Nightman is wandering down the streets of San Francisco lit by the setting sun, he has a premonition of a man preparing to kill him, him, the Nightman, but manages to spider sense and react in time to the man pulling up behind him with an assault rifle. Uh, SMG with a silencer. That's fair. And pulling up behind him is a strong worker, pulls up right next to him, sticks arm entirely outside of a window, like right next to Nightman. But Nightman fights him off and disarms him. Because this guy is stupid and they pull up right next to him and point their gun all the way out the window with their arm all the way extended and don't pull the trigger at any fucking point. But the driver leans out of his side and manages to shoot. No, no, he doesn't lean out. He stands the fuck up out of his car (laughs) and manages to shoot Raleigh. But then... No, he shoots Nightman in the shoulder. Yeah, he manages to shoot Nightman. But Raleigh shows up and between Raleigh and Nightman, they know that they have no chance. So they speed off leaving behind their gun. Well, they speed off once Raleigh picks up silent stub machine gun and points it at them. Yeah, 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 100%. Actual reason to speed off. Your gun that fires more bullets is now in the other guy's hand. Now, the other cohort... Um, Weems. ...has decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to go to the, the Department of Justice. I'm going to oh, go yeah, to the police. police because sorry. if the Department of Justice is corrupt, the police... Local police can handle this. The SFPD. They can definitely handle this. Anyways, the detective he talks to... Charlie. Charlie promises to work with Mr. Weems on this because murder. No, no, he promises to work with him on one aspect of this. Because murder, even at the cabinet level, is in his jurisdiction. It's not. It's definitely not. But he says he'll only work with the Secretary of Defense murder, though. But not the whole espionage thing. Because espionage is above him. Yeah, that's not his to work with. But fun fact, he's just factually wrong. Neither of these are his to work with. No, he's I- not included in this. He might, maybe, if he's lucky... Be able to tell some of his officers, cordon off an area for FBI. But he's like, don't worry about it. The chief of police called on someone he thinks can help. It's Kruger. And it's Kruger. Anyways, back to Raleigh and Johnny. Raleigh takes Johnny to a building that used to be used by a defense contracting agency. It's a warehouse. Whoever would have guessed. As the secret base where they're storing their weapon systems. Yeah. Here, we find out what the other two weapon systems are because we get we go through all five of them real fast. Well, all four of the ones Raleigh has real fast. Well, we get that right after we have a police chopper fly over as soon as they get there and notice that Raleigh's vehicle is there because they put a bulletin out for it. Didn't seem that important to me. I mean, it matters because they let her no, escape I'm... via sky and mention the police chopper that is there 
just briefly before they do and the chopper's just gone all the time. Anyways, the other devices are a cloaking device that allows for invisibility. It's a cape that makes you invisible. Yep. And a holographic display. That projects projections and doesn't have to be there to keep the projection going. Nope. We don't learn that till later when we see it in action. Yep. You just hit a button and the projection goes and you can just... Take- <laughs> it just stays there forever, apparently. Till you come back and cancel it. Yeah. Raleigh, who thinks Johnny's an undercover agent. Explains the entire situation to him. And he's like, me and these guys were working on some Pentagon contracts. Oh, also, there's a fifth thing here that's not part of the weapon systems. It's a shitty looking cow with a big red dead shot eye. But the eye is a laser as well. It's a beam weapon and a cutting weapon and has night vision and heat vision and... And sometimes the LEDs poke out of the mask later, as we learn. Uh, anyways, while he's going through all of this, they're cornered by the Department of Justice, who are outside. They pull up with police cars and the Department of Justice and so on and so forth. Yeah. And Johnny and Raleigh are like, well, we can't let them have this stuff. So Let's they... just open it and take them all with us. And they go and hide in a corner with the invisibility cape. Technically it is, but they don't use a corner effectively. They hide against the back wall and only block their front. If you look to the side of where Johnny's holding the cape, you can just see the side all the way along the wall. So if someone goes to the back wall and looks right, he'll just see two people with their hands up in front of them, holding apparently nothing. Holding a cloak. Honestly, this cape is just the invisibility cloak. Yes. But Attached to a battery. Battery powered, yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're cornered here. They're trying to figure out how to get out. And then they decide to use the anti-gravity belt to escape. Yes. And while doing this- This is right after the DOJ searches. And then the police show up and- um charlie yells about them taking his collar from him and he's like that's my helicopter up there and mm-hmm. then frank shows up and asks what's going on because he heard his son mentioned and they're like oh well your son's definitely involved his medical bracelets here yeah we also find out here that frank was thrown off the police force for doing something shady apparently he was a corrupt police officer but charlie said he stood up to the board when they went to make up the decision because they didn't have proof and says that the other officers made that up and blackmailed him because he didn't take bribe yeah, but he was thrown off for doing shady shit. Yeah. Or being accused of doing shady shit. Anyways, they used the anti-gravity belt to float up to the ceiling, but in doing so, they accidentally unplugged the invisibility cloak. So there's this really tense moment where they might get caught. Nobody sees them. But nobody sees them. And then, you know, instead of actually, like, using it to fly out of the building or somehow, they use it to float over to a support beam yep. and, and, like, hang out on the support beam for a while. And then they go out. With no uh, invisibility hatch. cloak on. Yeah. So if anybody looks up, they'll see them. People never look up, though. Not on this show. No. And then they open... And, like, it's not even a matter of looking up. If you're standing at the entrance of a building, the entrance of a A massive room, warehouse. And you're looking into it, your vision will encompass... I know. ...the areas up just because of your cone of vision. So people coming into the into the warehouse also, you know, are going to fucking see them. At the very least, Kruger knows one of those items in there was a fucking anti-gravity belt and a stealth cape because he's just demoed this all in a video to some potential buyers anyways for somehow from this support beam they get to the roof mm-hmm. and from the roof they use the, the anti-gravity belt to fly out over the bay they're trying to get to a boat and apparently no like you said nobody ever looks up in this world because and the helicopter that was just previously mentioned is no longer there also the flying effect of the gravity belt is super stupid looking mm-hmm. Because it's obviously just more green screen effect, and it's very bad green screen effect. Yeah. Anyways, they're levitating above the bay, and then the bell's battery runs out. Yeah. And then they fall for about eight seconds, and then hit the bay. Fun fact, they're dead. 
they have to be dead. This is what you call coming full circle, because at the beginning of the episode, I was like, is falling off the Golden Gate Bridge going to always kill you? And after doing a little bit of research, I came up to the conclusion that, yes, 98% of the time you fall off the Golden Gate Bridge, you're dead. Justice, do you want to talk about how far they fell? I, so, I, I know you crunched some numbers. Given the rough weight of two average people, average man about 88 kilograms, so roughly 176 kilograms. About 360 pounds mm-hmm. from two of them. Which seems a general estimate because Raleigh talks about how he's smaller than normal people because they're talking about who should be using the belt at a point. Mm-hmm. And how Domino's bigger than normal, so we'll just say they balance each other out. And we're talking about 368 pounds. And they're falling for eight seconds. So they will be falling roughly a thousand and I think it was a thousand two hundred feet, somewhere so around there. And that's roughly five times the fall off the Golden Gate Bridge. Yes. So if we just plug in those numbers raw, we get the speed that they hit the water at 73.82 meters per second, which is impossible because that's above terminal velocity. So 45 meters per second, roughly, because that's close yeah. to terminal velocity. Yeah. Well, fun fact, they're still dead. Yeah, no, they're they're big dead because the Golden Gate Bridge is a 98% chance for death. And you have to keep in mind, that's people trying to kill themselves most of the time. The 2% is a very weird statistic because it's... People that are A, trying to kill themselves, and B, don't die upon contact of hitting the water. Yeah. So, that brings us to the end of episode one. Before we do, I want to go on a quick tangent. While I was looking up the lethality of the Golden Gate Bridge, I did come upon one very interesting story. So, you remember how I said 95% of people that fall into the bay from the Golden Gate Bridge die on impact? Yes. And another 3% sustain such injuries that they can't swim out of the bay. Yeah. 2% of people that fall into the bay from the Golden Gate Bridge live. They don't die on impact, and they don't break enough body parts to, to drown, or they get saved. Out of that 2%, I think it was in the 60s or 70s, a teenage boy was hanging out with some friends, and he was like, hey guys, want to see how much of a badass I am? I'm going to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. And then he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge, survived. Swam all the way back to shore. We don't know where he jumped off of exactly, but he still fucking swam back to shore. Got in his truck and drove himself to the hospital because he cracked several of his vertebrae. Yeah. But yeah. People just jump off the Golden Gate Bridge for fun, too. It's not just a suicide thing. Okay, so what did you think of the first of the first part of the pilot for Nightmen? Honestly, my episode review is just, what the fuck? All of it's questionable and dumb. That's all I have. I mean, I could go more in depth. The CGI is bad. The acting's poor. The lines are written kind of poorly. At times, it cuts for no reason back and forth. Like, it felt like they were trying to do the buyer selling point when they were demonstrating their stuff as almost like in-show ads. Because mm-hmm. they cut it in between, like, here's a brief scene, then we'll cut back to here just to demo this, and no actual yeah, reason to do this. Kind of like later, kind of like later episodes of Better Off Ted. Yeah, they, they add that later. That's fine, but it was shittily done, and we were only there for like ten seconds. It's pointless. Yeah, for me, I think that show is just too slow. This episode, I know it's an origin story, but the origin story takes up like five seconds of the actual episode. It took like twenty-ish minutes to get there. Yeah, it's very slow. And And at the end of this episode, we haven't even seen Nightman yet. Yeah, honestly, kind of boring. Like you said, the effects are terrible. Even by like 1997 standards, the effects are terrible. It made me question if an actual set thing was CGI on top of more CGI. And on top of that, this show got two seasons, like over 40 episodes. Yeah, also had like good, well, not good celebrity guests of like actual quantity and level yeah, like pilot part two has david hasselhoff showing up yeah uh, apparently little richard showed up trump showed up like it has a lot of cameos mm-hmm. it also had a crossover episode with a show called manimal 
which is also by the producer of this show. Manimal was from the 80s. I looked it up out of curiosity after we finished this show. It had one season of eight episodes and was not liked. Anyways, that, that takes us to episode two, which also debuted on September 1997, which, in case you don't remember, is the same night the first episode debuted, which means the opening of this episode is really questionable because this episode starts with a catch-up. And there is one way this intro could have been amazing, and it's not. So, but it's told in like classic closed case or any like true crime like we get a voice. Na- we get a narrator intro. Yeah, and it's in like the true crime voice. I got this. Johnny Domino was one of San Francisco's hottest young jazz musicians. Every night he turned up the heat at the House of Soul, but fate and a cosmic event were about to change his life forever. He looked like the same man, and yet everything was different. And now I, the narrator, I'm going to give up and stop giving you a catch-up because now we're just going to use clips from the last episode because I am too lazy to actually do a full catch-up narration. Yeah. If it had done it like a true crime thing and then gone into like him being a fugitive or some shit, would have actually been a dope way to enter the show. It's going off the fact that he's wanted for prototype bullshit, right? Would have been an amazing way to open the second episode. Of course, that's not what fucking happens, but would have been dope. So anyways, the show actually opens with Johnny talking to Dr. Psychic Man. Yes. And Dr. Psychic Man believes that Johnny's brain can now hear the th- hear thoughts, kind of like radio waves. And in the doctor's words, Yes, Johnny. Exactly. You're in tune to the frequency of evil. Those are his words. That's an exact quote. This sentence, you're in tune to the frequency of evil, both A, could be kick-ass song lyrics. I realized just by the cadence <laughs> of, of the rhythm when I was saying it just now. But more importantly, it just sounds like the opening to a episode of The Twilight Zone. Yeah, no, his superpowers just a Twilight Zone episode. But any season of The Twilight Zone, even that brief dark period in the 70s and 80s, would have done it better. So we find out here, now we cut over to the sellers. Who have nothing to sell. Those are what they're named in my note. I've given them a long name that is pointless. And they're berating one of the, pe- one of the people trying to buy a cell phone. Because apparently he's already failed to stop Domino. So they're talking about how there shouldn't have been any public shootouts or anything. And it took me forever, like halfway through this fucking episode, to realize, oh shit, those people who shot at Johnny Domino on the street last episode weren't DOJ agents. Yeah, no, I was right there with you. I 100% did not understand this. And then, well, it's proved even better later because we see them exiting and Johnny sees them. He's like, those are the guys that jumped me. The people with Alvarez are not the same people we saw in the first episode attempt to kill Johnny Domino. Yes, but the rest of them are like, now it's my turn to try. It's a Chinese man, and he has... His name is Chang. And he has a pretty Chinese accent, Mm -hmm. like stereotypically movie Hollywood Chinese accent, not like... Evil stereotypical Hollywood Chinese accent. And he he opens a box that releases a a tarantula that scurries across to climb on top of Alvarez, who is freaking out now. And telling his men to deal with it. To which there's a slight humor moment when one of his men stands up, pulls out a gun, and points it directly at his boss's chest. Because the tarantula is sitting there. I mean, no, 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 don't shoot me. It's on my chest. Are you an idiot? Something along those lines. It's actually, I think, my favorite part of both these episodes. Look, if there's anything I've learned from the internet, when you got a giant spider running wild, you don't take chances. You just burn the entire place down. Yeah. Problem solved. But then the Chinese man laughs, and the spider just runs back into the box, and he's like, it's a fake spider. But the venom's real. Which made me pause and be like, hmm, do real tarantulas have venom? They do. I found out, yes, they do. It's um, just barely fucking anything, though. It's roughly the same as, like, the venom a bee has. Did you know bees also had venom? Yeah, yeah, I knew that. It's like a slight paralytic toxin that doesn't really do much to the human body. Yeah, tarantulas' venom 
is unless you're allergic to it is gonna do like nothing to you it's gonna like give you like a sore spot that has a little swelling yeah so the chinese guy mr chang wants to use it to kill domino and kruger and <laughs> katrina as we find out the woman is called bomb woman yes don't want to kill domino they just want to get the prototypes back yeah anyways let me cut to the house of soul wait we do learn one thing though of all the prototypes they do have the neutron gun though yeah they have the neutron gun uh, then we cut to the house of soul where a dj by the name of nightbird, nightbird hosts a live radio show which means the house of soul is not just a jazz club it's also a radio station anyways domino shows up in the room because apparently it is not a closed off studio area to talk yep it's just a back room of a club so that has to be the worst radio broadcast ever (laughs) i mean it does have soundproofing on the walls and the door was open before he got there though and she was just on air Mm -hmm. and he's brought her a new sound engineer because she's been looking for an engineer and well raleigh happens to be an engineer okay so i know you're a little bit peeved at that but, they, they, no, they explain it away. But at first, it's just, well, science man does science stuff, so he's good at all science stuff, except for engineer guy does engineer stuff, so he's good at everything that has the word engineer in it. Yeah, but it's because he ran the radio station at his college. Like, yeah, he said I got him through college, so I'll accept it. Yeah, okay, so like it totally makes sense. And then almost immediately after that, one of the arms dealers grabs Carla. Hold on. I think it's important to note that Carla Day is actually still featuring as a special guest at the House of Soul. Even though she was supposed to be there for that one-day engagement. Yeah, even though she was just there for Millennium 21, which is now over. Yes. But on her I way back... probably her, ended when there was an explosion on the bus that tried to kill a Secretary of Defense. Yeah, but on her way back to her dressing room, she is kidnapped by the guys trying to buy the weapon systems. Yes, particularly by Mr. Chang's men. And then Carla is forced to call Johnny from the back of Chang's limo. And by call Johnny, we mean call into Nightbird's radio show and then have Jessica, the bartender, who is also Nightbird apparently, hand the phone over to Johnny Domino. Huh, I didn't put that together, but you're right. Mm -hmm. And Johnny is told by Chang that he needs to bring all the prototype weapons to the Golden Gate Bridge by midnight or they're going to kill Carla. Also, no cops, no agents, blah, 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 blah. She'll die if we don't get what we want. Yep. So Johnny storms out and he leaves Raleigh behind because he's like, no, Raleigh, this is personal now. Well, at first, Raleigh's the only domino to stay out of it because it's his business and it's too dangerous to get involved. When Raleigh just brought in this random man who we had no reason to actually believe he's just like this guy was there he must be a secret agent oh he's not but i've already involved him and his friends and family i know he was just on a call about a person he knows being abducted but this doesn't involve him whatsoever and johnny's like no raleigh this is personal now stay here you may not like what i'm about to do and then he goes and grabs all the prototypes and he we get a suit up montage no no, no we don't get the suit up montage first we get carla in the back of the limo saying she has no idea what the fucking get they're talking about what prototypes what I'm just, just general confusion. I'm just skipping all the uninteresting bits. Can, can we do that? Okay, so this was a <laughs> review of Nightman. <laughs> no, but we still got to review the show, Justice. But you said we were skipping all the uninteresting bits. <laughs> Are we not doing that? I'm very tempted to just end the episode here because that's funny. <laughs> uh... <laughs> But we can't because there's a snake pit I want to talk about. <laughs> true, true. Never am I. So we get a hero suit up. He is the knight, man. He has become Nightman, destroyer of worlds. I mean, maybe destroyer of like superhero. Fashion. But anyways, the um, <laughs> the suit up montage ends with him appearing out of nowhere on top of a gargoyle as he pulls his invisibility cloak away, which is the only good part. Oh no, um, that 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 like 
half yeah, that like one good. second scene is actually like fucking legit. Like if that was the quality of the entire show, I'd be like, yeah, okay. This Mind is- you, it is tainted by just before that when he is putting his outfit on. Before he puts a glove on, just a glove that we see him pull farther up his wrist after this. His hand glows green, and we see his hand bones through it, and then the glove appears on his hand, and then in the next shot, we see him pulling the glove farther onto his wrist to make sure it's snug. So anyways, well, after we get the suit-up scene, we flash back to the Golden Gate Bridge. Well, actually, first we learn that Nightman has learned how to fly very effectively with the anti-grab belt, despite only using it once and plunging into the bay when he did. Yes. Then we flash back to the Golden Gate Bridge, and Chang is threatening Carla, and he's like, if you don't tell me where the stuff is, I'm going to throw you off the bridge right now. Trust me, you should believe me. My people have a thing about honor. If I don't do this, no yeah. honor. And she spits on his face and he slaps her. And then they throw her off the bridge. Yeah. Which, they've not been there long enough for it to be midnight. They've no, given... no, no, no. She points out that he's not going to wait till midnight when he pulls her out of the limo on the bridge. <laughs> yeah. Also, I like how apparently just throwing people off the bridge is the go-to. Like, I assume the buyers were just like talking to the sellers and the sellers are like if you have any problems while you're here in town while we get this business and situation worked out if you have any problems whatsoever you know you need to dispose of some people the golden gate bridge is the best place to do it just drive someone out there in your nice limo dangle them over the edge talk to them a bit remember to take off their shoes wait till about 11 p.m midnight there's There's no no, traffic there's no traffic on the golden gate bridge at night never Dangle them over the edge. Even if they can't give any information or anything, you know, do the stereotypical torment them about information. You're able to take off their shoes, place them next to the railing, put a note in it so it looks like a suicide, and then just throw them over the edge. But anyways, Chang throws her off the bridge without taking her shoes. He messed up. He's messed up. Um, but Nightman swoops in and saves her, and then poses heroically on top of the Golden Gate Bridge. Yes. But like on top of the like tower, not on the bridge part. Yeah. Because if he was on the bridge part, the people could shoot him. And yes. he's bulletproof, but... She's uh, not. Carla's not. Well, the only response Chang really has is, I know where the prototypes are now, and it's not good. So, Carla wakes up at Johnny's apartment. Yes, which is just more proof that his dad's fucking wrong, and he can make a career in music, because it's a nice fucking loft in San Francisco. Yeah, and she's like, wait, what happened? What Prototypes? What are they talking about? They threw me off the bridge. How, How are you involved in this? What's going on? And he's just like, um, uh, uh what do you even remember? And then Raleigh shows up, so he doesn't even have to, like, deal with that. And Raleigh's like, the prototypes are missing again. Yeah. I don't know what you did with them, but they're gone. And Domino's just like, oh, well, the buyers took Carla. They wanted the prototypes. I think we should go on the offensive. Still doesn't explain the fact that he took the prototypes. Leaves it vaguely like, maybe he gave the prototypes to the buyers? Who knows? And then Johnny enlists his father to tell the limo that abducted Carla. Yes. Because he got the license plate number from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He never tells his father that on screen. We just, his father calls in and is like, oh, I found that license plate you wanted because I still have contacts. Look at me. I'm an old man. I don't work for the police anymore, but I can still do police stuff. So in general, this is a trope I hate, but can we stop and just appreciate a show that did this trope very well? Psych. Yeah. I love Psych. I love everything about Psych. A cab except psych. Yeah, so we cut back to the buyers, and Chang is just freaking about how the prototypes are being used against all of them to foil their purchasing of the prototypes. And Katrina's like, that's not possible. The weapon systems aren't compatible at this point. They're just prototypes. They can't work together. And she's just like, yeah, they fucking can, bitch. I saw it. She still doesn't believe him. Yeah. And it just goes on to talk about, well, we can still demo the neutron gun tonight. And all the buyers are like, yeah, that's cool. We want that. 
but we want to see you merc someone with them. Yeah, yeah, you got to merc somebody because we, we're not going to believe you unless you merc somebody. We have to prove we're evil. But we should also mention that the car's license plate that showed up that Frank found belongs to a, the Chinese consulate. And diplomatic community, baby. Yeah, the TV show interpretation of diplomatic community. Yep. So then after that brief period, Raleigh and Johnny show up in a super nice car. Again, proving that Frank is definitely wrong and that Johnny can definitely yeah. make a living being a musician. Show up to join Frank outside of Strand Cybertech, where he trailed the Chinese too. And here they identify both the people that kidnapped Carla and the people that attempted to kill Johnny in the last episode. Even though those aren't the people that tried to kill him in the last episode. And the woman who left the bomb on the bus. Katrina Weston, head of acquisitions of Strand Cybertech. And Johnny's just like, how the fuck do you know that, Raleigh? And Raleigh's like, I explained all of this to you. I worked for that company. Well, not that company. That's a shell company. But she works for that company that I worked for. I've been involved in this whole debacle longer than you have. You've been involved for like, well, this is a gray area because you were wanted and now you're not wanted. And you're going about your life normally. And I know you and we've been around a while. So much has happened off screen. And while Raleigh and Johnny are talking about this, Chang doubles back and talks to Katrina about buying exclusive rights to all of the weapon systems. And she's just like, well, your other competitors asked about that, too. And he's like, oh, yeah, of course. And he laughs. But you can tell he's not happy. So Johnny has Frank and Raleigh follow the Chinese consulate, and he decides to tell Katrina. Yes. So Frank and Raleigh somehow find themselves out of town very quickly. Yeah, they cross the bridge. And they're out of San Francisco on some back roads. And, and suddenly an attack helicopter. No, no, no. More importantly, I know Raleigh looks high as fuck this entire drive. His actor's eyes are all the way open. He never blinks. And, and he's just, just staring ahead. And then the attack helicopter descends in front of them, blocking the road. Yes. Frank calls Johnny for help as he is being held at gunpoint. Paul gets interrupted because he's being held at gunpoint. So Johnny pulls off away from Katrina. And confronts Kruger, the DOJ guy who is helping to sell the weapons. Yeah. And he's just like, I want Raleigh and Frank. Let him go. And Kruger threatens to arrest Johnny. But Johnny is too badass to be arrested. But he just walks out of the office. He's like, fuck you. Yeah, like Kruger's like, I, you're still a suspect. I can arrest you at any time. And the important part here is Johnny's like, you don't care about the prototypes anymore. You plan to wrap up the deal tonight. Or did you forget I can hear thoughts? When the fuck did Kruger find out he can hear thoughts? He hasn't. He hasn't. He- just now he fucking did, apparently. And Johnny pulls the door open to leave, and Agent Barden's coming in, and Johnny just, like, stares down Barden. He's like, fuck you. Fuck you, bitch. Yeah. So Barton goes in, and Kruger's just like, I want someone to watch Johnny and make sure he doesn't ruin shit. If he tries to bell, kill him. Yep. So Johnny goes back to the House of Soul, and then he uses the hologram to create a hologram of him playing saxophone on stage, which also means the holograms make sound, or someone in the sound engineering area is oh wait they don't have a sound engineer anymore he got kidnapped oh god the hologram must make sound too so barton is out in the audience of the house of soul takes a phone call from kruger and he's like yeah he's here he's in the middle of his set it's gonna be a little while yeah and then johnny suits up again yes and anytime johnny is in the suit moving on the ground because we get an image of him running on a beach and climbing through some rocks on a cliff face well that's right after we see another really shitty shot of katrina's cliffside mansion and it's suddenly stormy as well again. Shitty lightning, and every single light in the mansion is on, and it's all just red, like a pure red light, because we have to establish evil, creepy place, bad lady house. Then we get Nightman running on the beach in a suit and climbing through some cliffs on a suit, 
and it looks terrible. This suit looks awful in motion. Yeah. The cowl always looked terrible, but in motion, the entire suit looks bad. Nightboy is depressing me. Anyways, Nightman sneaks into Katrina's mansion. Specifically into the evil basement layer of the mansion. Which has a snake pit. An industrial elevator. And industrial walkways. But like an actual snake pit. Like Yeah, everything below the walkways just filled with snakes. Like an actual pit just filled with snakes. Yep. Different types of snakes too. So you know it's not just like a natural snake breeding ground. Someone has purposely placed all these snakes here. When Johnny takes out the two goons guarding Frank and Raleigh. And then he replaces them with the two knocked out guards. Yeah. Uh, he replaces Frank and Raleigh with the knocked out guards. He yeah, saves yeah. Frank and Raleigh and then replaces them in the cell with the oh, bag yeah. over their heads. There's also another slightly amusing moment here. Oh. Ra- Raleigh mistakes Nightman for Satan. Oh, yes, that's right. He is, Nightman wakes up Raleigh and Raleigh's been drugged. Yeah, but um, that's basically it. So then Kruger, Katrina, and all the, the representatives from the buyers come down to the basement to test the prototype neutron gun. From this elevator that must only travel a few inches because the winch turns on and then stops and then the elevator opens and they're there. Yep. The winch doesn't run for any amount of time. They don't even like have it on as background noise or some shit. It's just on, then off, we're there. So the neutron gun, they talk about how this is a smaller prototype version the larger version can is a, it's a satellite version yeah you could mount it on a satellite and kill people anywhere in the world and that the neutron gun can't destroy non-organic material but it can shoot through it mm-hmm. and then proceeds to shoot his two goons because they have bags over their head and are wearing suits even though the people he abducted weren't wearing suits but also their clothes are organic material mm-hmm. i know anyways um when you get shot with a neutron gun apparently your body disappears yep Yep, so Johnny Nightman sends Kruger and Frank out of the mansion to take his car and leave. Yes. Well, he... Oh, there was also, when they were coming down the elevator, for some reason, Kruger felt the need to be giving the historical information about this mansion like a fucking tour guide. One episode too late, we have a tour guide. Um, but Kruger stays in the basement. To um, find out where the henchmen went. Yep, and Nightman uses this opportunity to, to throw Kruger into the snake pit. Punch him into a snake pit. Yes. Where he is killed by snakes. Yeah, Kruger's just like, help me out. What the fuck? Ah, snakes. And Nightman's like, no. I'm a villain. I am dead now. No. I mean, he just put two people to get neutron gunned. So that was already established. Nightman's first action as a superhero is to murder three people. Yeah. I know you picked this show because we had a running gag where every show had a Batman. And you were like, Nightman, it's literally a Batman knockoff. But he's not a Batman knockoff. He's like... He's a shitty Punisher mixed with Batman. Such It's so weird. Anyways, upstairs, the three buyers all confirm that their money went through. And they Katr- get cases and they leave. Yep. They actually do something I appreciate. They subvert the racist expectations I have because Alvarez, the head of the Colombian cartel, very obvious Latino stereotypes. Chang, stereotypes all the fucking place. Brian George's character subverted stereotypes. He was German. Mm-hmm. As were his men. It was unexpected and I appreciate that. Yep. Nothing happens there, because um, as they're leaving... Well, no, no, something does happen here. Katrina apologizes to Chang about not being able to offer him exclusivity, and Chang laughs, and then he leaves with his guys, and after he leaves in his car, the other two cars start up to leave, Yeah, this, and they uh, blow up. I was going to say, nothing happens from that, because he dies shortly thereafter. Oh, oh, you mean... Yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah you, mean, you mean the German dude. Yeah, and... the fact that there's a German dude bears 
no matter. He just dies immediately. And we see Raleigh and Frank in the car, and Frank's confused as to how he got here and whatever, and something about prototypes or whatever, and why things aren't making sense. And Raleigh's just like, you were just drugged. Things aren't going to make sense. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then they follow Chang. Yep. Then Nightman storms into Katrina's mansion. After like, more shitty lightning. And for some reason, in this immediate confrontation, which is the first two of them meeting for the first time, Katrina's like, oh, you're here to foil me again, something, something, or should I just call you Nightman? Mm-hmm. That's how he gets his name. The villain's just like, I'm going to call you Nightman for no, no, no reason. Or should I just call you Nightman? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what the fuck? Like, who has set this precedence that he ha- has been called Nightman before? Anyways. Or has a reason to be called Nightman? She uses a pitfall trap to drop him into the snake pit, but you know, he has a hover belt, so this shouldn't work well, out. Well, right before that, though, because she's complaining about how he's doing stuff, he says, she turned his world upside yeah, down. you've turned my world upside down. Now it's my turn. And then she drops him into a It pit. feels like all these people have had multiple interactions before this. They haven't. I don't know. How, like, what did she do to turn his world upside down? She put a bomb on a bus. Does he think that she made the lightning hit him that gave him superpowers? Apparently. But she uses a pitfall trap to drop him into the snake pit. He falls for a good four seconds. He shouldn't be. He shouldn't fall. He has a hover belt. He just smacks that thing oh, and yeah, hovers. And it's not like he's falling. He's falling perfectly still and his hands are by his waist where the belt is. And when he hits the ground, he's just standing perfectly still. Literally, he doesn't even like appear to absorb any of the shock with his legs for the most part. He just lands. Mm-hmm. I don't remember him getting super strength or the armor being able to absorb shock or those anything. Aren't th- none of those are things. But while he's fallen into the snake pit, we get introduced to a character who's named Mr. B. He shows up to talk to Katrina and... There is a nothing exchange between him and Katrina. It kind of let, lays out that he might be Katrina's boss. Yep. But then Nightman flies out of the snake pit hole. As they toast at the end to Nightman, both happily finally see their arch rival and most hated foe dead. But as Nightman flies out of the snake pit, Mr. B turns around and Mr. B is David Hasselhoff. And Nightman basically just immediately throws him out a window. Yeah. He, with the line, life's a hassle. In it. He says, life's uh, a hassle. In it. Yeah. Like, isn't it, but with no S? And while he's looking, and while he's staring out his window that he just threw Hasselhoff through, Katrina runs and escapes through a secret fireplace exit. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Hasselhoff cameo is literally less than 30 seconds. Yeah. So Nightman turns around, is confused, ends up at the fireplace, and there's this weird sound effect that makes me question if he's using weird psychometry powers again, or just happens across the tourney globe to open the secret passage. I don't fucking know. Yep. Frank and Raleigh have escaped. They're chasing down Chang and Go, and Frank wants to call Charlie to get the police to handle this situation. Yep. And so Frank does call Charlie, and Raleigh somehow headset calls into Nightman. And Nightman's like, Katrina's gone. And the prototype, blah, 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 and Raleigh's like, just like, oh, so Chang has con- works for the console and has diplomatic community. The police aren't going to be able to do anything. Yep. So Nightman flies to the docks to intercept Chang. Mm-hmm. And when he gets there, he uses the neutron gun. Because he has a neutron gun now. To murder Chang's men. Well, first he tells Chang to put down the briefcase. And Chang's like, he won't use it. And then Nightman immediately murks his men. <laughs> Nightman's a straight up murderer. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's aiming it at Chang and tells Chang to put down the case or he'll kill him. That way Chang can face this crime. Chang doesn't. 
Nightman uses his laser vision to melt the case and all evidence of his crimes. Which means when the police get there and they're trying to detain Chang, Frank, who also is now there, looks like a complete and absolute idiot for having called them because Chang has, there's no evidence that Chang's committed any crimes and even if he had, he has television version diplomatic immunity. Which means you're immune from everything, even committing horrible crimes, which we know countries don't cover all that diplomatic immunity. Your country can be like, no, what you did would cause a war. You're fucked now. Bye. We we rescind your diplomatic anyways, immunity. Anyways, after Frank looks like an idiot, we cut back to the House of Soul. What? Wait, wait, no, no. There's an important thing. Oh, uh, is there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there anything important in this show? I mean, technically going forward, I would assume it's important. Okay. Instead of like using his laser vision to get rid of the neutron gun that Lightman deems too dangerous for anyone to have, he just drops it into the water. Oh yeah, he just drops it into the bay. Yes. And then... Then we're back at the House of Soul, and Johnny disables the hologram, and he has a quick talk with... Nightbird, or Jessica, or the bartender. And she's like, hey, did you play that one song twice? Sweet time twice. And he's like, you ever hear of an encore? And she just seems suspicious and goes, hmm, and then walks off. Then Johnny grabs a drink with Detective Charlie, Frank, and Raleigh, but Frank has a message for Johnny from Carla about repaying Johnny for everything he's done. And then she's gonna meet him back at his loft. And so, so Johnny's like, fuck yeah, I'm out. Bye, guys. He grabs some free champagne that was offered to him by the bartender. Well, it was offered to all four of them. But he, but he takes it because it's his free champagne. Yeah. And bounces back to his loft. Yep. When he gets there, Katrina is waiting on his couch for him. Surrounded by candles and with a gun. But as she's threatening him, Chang's tra- <laughs> tarantula crawls out of his box, kills her, crawls back in his box. He walks into the living room, sees a dead body. And then Carla walks into his loft and she sees it up about it. And she's like, you know, maybe we shouldn't be doing anything anymore. I'm I'm leaving after tonight. Maybe we just aren't meant to work, you know? And he's like, yeah, you're right. We're not meant to work. Maybe the only thing we've ever been good for is like a duet here and there. And she's immediately forgotten about the dead body and be like, so they go back to yeah. House of Soul, perform a duet for Frank, Raleigh, and Charlie. They just leave the dead body there. This is, they're in D&D. There's no such thing as a, criti- a critical success on a skill check. I don't care what you guys play with house rules for. There's no critical successes for skill checks. Yeah, it's not a rule. In the rules. But this is literally a critical success on a charisma check. Yeah. He's like, yes, there's a dead body, but maybe we can go play a duet. And she's like, yeah, there's a dead body. We should go play a duet. Yep. Uh, so my final thoughts on this entire show are just now. Just now. Also, just so much, especially episode f- two. Feels like it just doesn't even take place on camera. Like, shoot, all the important parts, like, I'd say 55 to 65% or 75% of the show that feels like important moments don't occur on camera. Plus, all the fights look like shit. This show is insanely bad. I don't I don't know how it got renewed for a second season. I'm really sad that, despite the fact that it was a Marvel comic book property, technically, there was no crossover stuff going on with this. Like, that could have maybe saved it, but probably not. I mean, we do know Hawkeye's in this universe. Yeah. But no, it's terrible. Or at least his second cousin, twice removed. It's terrible CGI, terrible fight coordinating, and porn parody levels of acting. Yeah. Some porn parodies have better acting. I don't know, but I'll agree with you. Yeah, it's kind of garbage. If you want to watch it, it's free on some streaming services. I don't remember what streaming service we used, but it was free. Don't pay for it if you want to watch it. Yeah, don't do that. Also... There's not a Batman in everything. There's no Batman in this. Batman wouldn't grace this show with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, agreed. Also, there's no supervillain so far. No, it's just a man murdering Actually, in fact, 
All the villains are dead, except for Chang. Chang escapes. And Katrina. Katrina escapes. No, Katrina's dead by a spider. Oh, yeah, she just got murked by a spider. <laughs> I already forgot about that. Uh, yeah, that was terrible. Anyways, if you want to reach out to us to suggest a show or just get in contact with us to tell us your thoughts on a show we've reviewed or a show you've watched or just want to talk to us in general, you can reach us on Twitter at Copilot's Review. Or at Gmail at copilotsreview at gmail.com. Or you can find our podcast and link to all our other stuff, like the things we just mentioned, or our Discord at copilotsreview.simplecast.com. Anyways, thank you for listening. And please use your anti-gravity belt to fly again with us next time. Gravity belt.